Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. You can be seated. I'll move this out of the way here. There we go. Well, guys, I don't know about you, but uh, I hope that your uh, Final Four bracket is intact. Mine was blown up a long time ago. Uh, in fact, we are now, uh, we, we're basically going to see uh, the game of the Blue Bloods. 
We're going to see uh, UNC. We're going to see Kansas. Uh, and I think, personally, it's going to be a really good game. I've heard a little bit before some people are, are uh, uh, not really excited about it. There, when I think about uh, going go Tar Heels, I got you. I hear that. All right. Uh, when I when I uh, when I think about basketball, I typically think about personally the pro league, uh, and I, I go back to what I would consider the heyday, and Jordan and the Bulls, and you guys will remember. Those of you who are maybe you young cats who uh, you've watched uh, the documentary on Netflix now, uh, that whenever there was a tight game, whenever there was uh, somebody who needed to have the ball, they always got it to Jordan. And he would, I mean, it, it's like he was money. You know, there is a, there's a theory that's called the hot hands fallacy. The hot hands fallacy is this. And this, this hot hands fallacy plays out whether it's in investments, whether it's in football, whether it's in basketball, whether it is Tiger Woods and golf. The theory is this. If someone's on fire, you keep feeding them. You keep feeding them. You keep feeding them. But did you realize that the hot hands fallacy is really a fallacy? Because there is absolutely no scientific theory that says that if you keep giving them the ball, they're going to keep making it. Because if that were true, they would, they would always make it. They would never break. This very fallacy, I think, this whole hot hands idea that you're even going to see when it comes to the, to the championship game. There's going to be one or two. They just keep feeding. They keep feeding. They keep feeding really kind of points us to what we see in Joshua chapter 7, I believe. Joshua, in Joshua chapter 7, you see the nation of Israel. They've kind of been on a roll. They've gotten a brand new leader. He's been there. He w walked with the nation. They, they have, this, this leader, Joshua, has seen them through. They get to the Jordan. What happens? Uh, they obey him. God tells him what to do. He, they obey. They walk through on dry land. I mean, it opens up, and they go through. Uh, they get to Jericho. Do you remember what happens at Jericho? God gives Joshua the plan and says, this is what you're supposed to do. Joshua goes to the nation of Israel and says, here's what we're going to do. And they march around Jericho seven times, and they blow the trumpets until the walls fall down, and they, they overtake the city. And, I mean, they're making it happen, and then all of a sudden, you get to chapter 7. And it feels like it's kind of the beginning. You're seeing the beginning, the seeds here of some rumblings and some shaking here. And, and this is a very serious passage. And so today, what I want to be able to do as we read through this, uh, and, and as we talk through this, uh, thank you so much, uh, Zion and Natalie, for reading, because we're, I'm going to kind of story us through this. And we're going to, I'm always, I'm going to tell you, hey, look back at this passage. I want you to be able to see it. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to have them open. I want you to be able to see what it is that we're talking about here. Whenever Joshua and the nation is winning, when they're on the roll, you recognize that the reason that they're winning and they're on the roll is because they're receiving the word of the Lord and then they're being obedient to the word of the Lord. They're doing exactly what it is that God has called them to do. But it seems like right here, things kind of begin to change when you get into chapter seven because 
really what you're seeing here is that God never gave them explicit commands to Joshua that they're to go to Ai and begin to overtake that city. Look with me at verse two. Verse two ends up telling me, telling us, telling uh, as we were reading it through, it says that Joshua sends out spies. He didn't receive a direct word from the Lord like he did with the other things, but he sends out a, a, the spies and they're to go to I. These spies, they end up going to the city and they look around it and they come back and they say, Joshua, listen, we got this one. We can handle this. This is a small city. We can manage this. There's no need to trouble the entire nation. They don't all need to go. Just send a few of us and we'll go, we'll go make this thing happen. So what does Joshua do in chapter four, in verse four? Joshua sends, it says 3,000 men. Now remember in Jericho, when they were marched around Jericho, there were approximately 40,000 that marched around. So here he sends 3,000 men. He takes their advice and they go to I and they are humiliated in defeat, the scripture tells us. They're humiliated. It says that 36 people end up dying. In fact, it goes on to say that the men of I chased them out along the way. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. They were chased away. Do you remember in chapter one? Go back over to chapter one real quick, because I want you to be able to see this. In chapter one, uh, it, it is, uh, let's see, chapter one, uh, beginning in verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And what ends up happening here? They're chased out. They're gone. I mean, there's a defeat, a massive defeat that happens. Why? Why did the massive defeat happen? Well, I think one of the reasons that you can see right here is that they don't obey the Lord. They began to take matters into their own hands. They kind of got puffed up full of themselves and they had forgotten that, listen, the Lord God is the one who leads us. They're not a strong army. They're the people of God. And so when God gave Joshua the word and then Joshua went to the Israelites, they obeyed what it was that God told them to do. And here they begin to take matters into their own hands. They begin to act in their own judgment. They begin to do the things that they wanted to do. Notice what it says in verse five. Look at chapter seven, verse five. Chapter seven, verse five says this. It says, the hearts of Israel melted. The hearts of Israel melted. Do you remember just a couple of chapters ago in chapter two, I believe it was, when Rahab is speaking and she's saying, listen, word has spread about you guys and the hearts of the people, all of us, our hearts have melted because we know what you've come to do. And now then how the tables have turned. Folks, this is just a reminder, as I said a moment ago, that this was not some massive, overpowering, incredible army. These were the people of God. Did they have an army? Yes, they had an army. They had an army of people that God assembled, but their victory was always because they went in obedience to what he said, and they did exactly what it was that God called them to do. You see, they didn't conquer by their own strength. In fact, do you remember all the things that he said? We've talked about this the last several weeks. To the, to the typical general, it would sound like, this, this, you want me to do this? Yes, you just obey me, God says. You obey me and you're going to see my hand. 
You're going to see my hand of victory. Folks, I want to say this to you. I say this each week as we're walking through here, but I want to remind you, there is no greater counsel than the counsel of the Lord. And it may sound crazy to you as you read it, but when you read the counsel of the Lord and you do what it is that he's called you to do, there will be victory in your life. There's going to be victory. Because he is not going to leave you alone. But I think there's another situation here that I think is really important for you to catch. Look at verse 1, will you? Chapter 7, verse 1. Look what it says there. It says, but the people of Israel broke faith. They broke faith. They broke faith in regard to to the devoted things. Listen, uh, there was a man named Achan, and what he did was he flagrantly disobeyed what it is that God had called them to do. And because he disobeyed, there was a massive defeat of the nation. God takes sin very seriously. Do you realize that? God takes sin very seriously. He, it doesn't have to be just a major sin because it, it's even a small sin in our lives because he desires us to be holy people. And so what happens here is that Achan, he disobeyed God. And because of that, the entire nation it was affected by this. And you see what happened in verse six. Look down at verse six. In verse six, it says, because of this, a, uh, Joshua and all of the elders, they went and they fell down face forward before the ark of the Lord. It says they tore their clothes. They covered themselves with dust. This was a way of lamenting, God, what, what's happened? What are you doing? Joshua even says to them, Joshua even cries before the Lord, why, why did you bring us out here? Listen, we're gonna be destroyed. Our name is gonna be, be ridiculed. And then what are you going to do, God? Because your name is gonna be ridiculed because we're your people. And I love this. I love this. Uh, I, I, yeah, you know what God tells him? Do you see what God tells him in, in, in verse 10? Get up. Uh, I mean, the emphasis is there. Exclamation point. He says, get up. What are you, what are you doing? Listen, uh, it wasn't that they were more mighty. It's that you disobeyed me. You disobeyed. You got full of yourself. You thought you were on a roll. You thought that you walked through the Jordan on your own. You thought you brought the walls down of Jericho, but it wasn't you. He says, your people, you disobeyed me. Joshua, get up. There is sin in the camp, and you, as the leader, have got to go find it. You've got to go find it. This is serious, Joshua. So what is it that happened? Well, I, the scripture tells us that Achan sinned, Israel, it says Israel sinned and broke faith because Achan took the devoted goods. Well, what were some of those devoted things? Well, devoted things are these. Devoted things are, are if, if God is the victor, of the army, he's the one who is the victor of Israel, he gets to decide what they get to keep and what they don't get to keep, who, what is his and what is theirs. And so in chapter six, go back over to chapter six with me real quick. In chapter six, verse 18, God tells them, he tells uh, Joshua and Joshua relays, but you keep yourselves from these devoted 
from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have, notice this, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. Go on down though, and I want you to see uh, in verse 21. In verse 21, he says, then, the devote, then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. He says, the only thing that you're to keep, the only thing that you're to keep, and it all goes to the treasury of the Lord is gonna be the gold and the silver. You, you keep those things and you bring them to me. This is not what Achan did. This is not what Achan did. You see, what Achan did is he took those things and he brought them in. You know what Achan is doing here? This, the, Achan is deliberately disobeying what it is that God has commanded. He's deliberately doing that. He knows he's been told, and now he's keeping the devoted things, things that were devoted only to God, and God is the one who gets to choose where they go and how they're to be used. God has said, listen, these things are going to be destroyed. These things are going to go into my treasury. Folks, I want to make sure that I'm really clear about this. This is more than being greedy. You realize that our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Does he need gold and silver? No, he can speak gold and silver into existence. With one word, he can do what he wants to do with that. It's not like he needs it. What this is about is is about Achan making a slap at the holiness of God. Because he, he didn't obey what God had commanded. It's as if he says, listen, I won. God, you you didn't win. We won. I won. God, you don't get to choose what to do with my life. I get to choose what to do with my life. I'm going to be the one. God, you didn't do this. We did this. So I'm going to choose what I want. I know this is what you said, but I'm going to choose. Listen, this reminds me of a, 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 in our very, very recent past uh, of a politician in our country who at the height of COVID, as the COVID numbers in that state begin to go down, and I quote, said, God didn't do this. We did this. And in that moment, at the height, at the height of his trajectory, do you know what ended up happening? Scandals began to roll out. Sexual scandals, financial scandals, leadership scandals. And within months, he had to resign. And I need you to know, God's not going to be mocked. When, when he calls us to do something, he's called, when he calls us to do something, to obey him, you know what he desires us to do? Obey him. You see, we don't get to make up the rules as followers of him. So what had ended up happening? Israel kept some of the devoted goods, the devoted things from Jericho. Often in my life, I hope I'm not speaking only to me here. Often in my life, as I'm marching down the road, it's things from my past that I thought I had gotten away with that rise up to bite me. You ever been in that situation? 
Come on, don't leave me out here by myself. Yeah. What looked like a massive, incredible victory, and it was militarily, was incredible. Uh, But what was unseen, what was secret, is that someone had broken faith. And as a result of the breaking of the faith, what ended up happening is that became the root of the defeat, the rebellion that Achan, the one did, had consequences across the entire nation. Does this sound familiar to you guys? Has this ever happened in your life where you have seen someone who has done something? Listen, if you're a teacher or a student in here, which should be all of us at one point or another, you understand corporate consequences, don't you? When the entire class gets punished because of the foolishness of one I always hated when that happened. You teachers, listen, I get it. You got to make an example. But we understand that. We see that. This is what ends up happening. Israel is held responsible, though Achan is the one who committed the sin. Folks, this ought to tell us that our lives affect one another. How often have you heard me say that we don't live our lives in a vacuum? What you do reflects on me and what I do reflects on you. How I, if I have a big screw up and I fall, literally fall morally, do you think that just affects me? No, it affects Amy, it affects my kids. It affects this church. This is the same thing with you. What happens in your life affects us because we're family, We're family. So again, in verse 13, notice again, look at verse 13. In verse 13, God says again, get up. It's obviously that Joshua had not gotten up yet. He says, hey, hey, get up. And here's what I want you to do. You're gonna go through the camp and you're gonna tell everyone, consecrate yourselves. Now, consecrating, we've talked about this before. Consecrating was the, it it was ceremonially washing their bodies, washing their clothes, it is abstaining from food, certain foods, abstaining from sex for tempor- temporarily. It's like mom and dad saying, hey, get up, get cleaned up because tomorrow's a big day. Tomorrow's a big day. Well, this is what happened right here. God told him, he said, you get up and you tell, everyone, tell the people, send the elders. The elders were there with him. Send the elders around and you tell them that tomorrow is going to be a big day consecrate yourselves, get ready because somebody's broken faith. It's not like they didn't know they were going to the big dance. They knew the nation of Israel knew what was about to happen because they had already experienced the defeat. They they knew that no one should be able to stand before them. And yet here they were, they had a humiliating defeat. They were chased out of town when no one should have chased them out of town. They should be chasing everyone. People had died. Now then Joshua has said, listen, there's gonna be consecration today because tomorrow we're all going to come before the Lord. Tribe by tribe, Judah was chosen. Household by household, man by man. You see, Joshua at that moment had to choose what is he going to do? Is he going to do what it is that the Lord's called him to do? Would he be obedient to the word of the Lord? And God had already told him, this is what's going to happen. Listen, this is a big deal. Not only are the devoted things going to be, listen, some of the devoted things were things that should go to the treasury. He said, but the devoted things and all the household of whoever it is will be burned with fire. God takes sin 
seriously. But I'm here to say to you, I want to make sure that I say this now. I'm thankful to God that Jesus took my punishment for sin and I no longer stand for my sin. Jesus took that because as a follower of his, see, this is how important, this is why Jesus coming is so important, is because when Jesus came, laid his life down on the, on the cross, when he took on my sin and the sin of those who would, who would come to know him, and then he paid the penalty of that sin, he went to the grave, he rose again. See, today I don't stand accused because Jesus is my Savior. Where Achan, Achan had to stand. He had to look. This is how seriously. You see, one man was responsible for the current situation that they were in. One man. Achan's sin was a big deal. It was the beginning, many people would say, of the canonization from the standpoint of they went into Canaan. Do you remember? And God said, you want to, we're going to get rid of all the idols. We're going to get rid of all the people. Why? Because they've been on disobedience that God forbeared with them. He, for 430 years, and then the nation of Israel came as the judgment tool. But yet what ended up happening already as they step in is they begin to be influenced again. So here's the question. What's the big fuss over Achan's sin? Was he the only one who, I mean, we don't, I mean, obviously there probably was other people who had sinned. What's the big deal with Achan's sin that it created this? Well, I'm glad you asked that. There's three things that I want you to see. So I want you to write these down, right? Three things really quick. Number one is this, is that this was a direct and willful rebellion against a very specific command and the will of God. It was direct and willful. He knew. He had already been told. How many times, parents, have you told your children, do not do this, and then they go and do it? What is that? That wrath begins to burn in you. They deliberately, this is not like, oh, I found myself into something. No, they knew. Achan knew. Number two, he desired the blessings of the kingdom while rejecting the rule of the king. Isn't this what Romans 1 tells us? That they love the creation more than the creator. More than the creator. You see, we see this all the way back in Joshua, the beginnings of this. Notice also number three is that Achan attempted to hide his sin from God and from everyone else. He assumed that his secret sin would be secret only to him. You, you realize that Achan's only doing what his first mom and daddy did, Adam and Eve. He and we only do what we see our forebears do also. No one will know. This is hidden. Only I know. No one will ever know. Uh, in, in verse 24, I believe it is, in chapter 7. Let me look here. To, I want to make sure that verse 21 Achan says this, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a, and a gold bar of 50 shekels. Do you remember what Eve said? When, when, how it's described, it says, she looked and she saw that it was desirable. 
We are led away, James says, by our own evil desires. Folks, this is why it was so serious. This was a direct assault. And and I need you to understand, God takes sin very, very seriously. He takes it seriously among his people. You see, sin doesn't just lay dormant in our heart. It begins to affect the whole. It's highly contagious. It's transmissible. It moves fast. And you know what Aiken is? Aiken is, pan- Aiken is patient zero in the pandemic of sin right now. And something has to be done. And God says, Joshua, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. Something needs to be done. Because if not, this is going to wreak devastation in the nation of Israel. In verse 13, God told, told the people, he said, listen, tomorrow, he said, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. You know what I think? I think there's a window of time right here. God said that. God told Joshua, tell them to consecrate themselves because tomorrow we're going to line up. I, I think this is a window that God gave for Achan to be able to come. You see, Achan knew what he had done. Achan knew. Uh, Achan knew that it had now, that God knew because he had already told the leaders. And so now then there's a period of time for Achan to come and confess. You go, do you really think so? Well, remember Rahab in Jericho, she was a part of a people that was going to be dedicated to destruction. But what did Rahab do? Rahab gave glory to God. He's the one true God. I surrender to you, the spies, and I, I surrender to God. Do you remember last week when we talked about uh, the, the six days around Jericho? How it, could it possibly have been that God is a, well, it's not possible. He is a patient and loving and long-suffering, full of mercy. Could it be that he did it six days so that other people in the walls could respond? Listen, if that's true, I also believe that that could be very true for Achan also. But there's a period of time where Achan could have came forward me did it. Me did it. Here it is. I bring this. I confess. I don't know what would have happened, but there was the point where that could have happened. And, what, and, and you know what he did? He chose to keep his sin hidden. I mean, so much so that he got a shovel and he dug a hole in his tent and he buried it up. That's the equivalent of sticking it under your mattress, putting it under your bed, up in the top of the closet, I rent a storage unit so no one knows. I think this speaks to our heart. See, we see Aiken's heart, but this, this speaks to us also. And I need to say this here, okay? This doesn't just apply to Aiken. This doesn't just apply to you. You know, this applies to me. And right now, my heart is heavy at even bringing these types of things. Yet here's what I know. God has called us to be a holy people. God's called us to be a holy people. Because he is a holy God. So with that, there's two quick things, very quick things that I want you to see. Number one. We are called to fight our sin. We're called to fight our sin. 
Each of us sin every day. All of us sin every day. In fact, there are some of us in here who probably struggle with a particular sin, and we may even struggle with a particular sin for a period of time. But the key word there is struggle. It's struggle. We've had a series before, and there was a sermon in it where the bottom line was this. Uh, fight is evidence of faith. If you're not fighting your sin, the question is, is, will, is there really any faith there? Listen, Achan wasn't struggling at all. <laughs> he wasn't even fighting it. He was covering it up. He had opportunity after opportunity, and yet he didn't struggle with it. He, it so much so that Yes, I know, Lord. Yes, I know. This is what the direct command is. And if that means that I have to forsake your command and my devotion to you, so be it. Because I don't want anyone to know about this. Folks, today in this room, there are some of you in here, you are expending so much energy to keep something covered up that if you would come to him, there would be such freedom in your life. Because Jesus has come that we might be set free from sin. Listen, there's a difference between, there's a difference between fighting lustful thoughts and hiding an affair. You realize that, don't you? There's a difference between coveting this cash and then embezzling cash and trying to hide it. Folks, we're called to fight. Christians will always fight their sin, always. We'll put up our fights, our fists, and we'll sock it. We'll get knocked down. We'll get back up. We'll keep on fighting sin. But if you're not fighting sin, the question is, is have you ever met the Savior who died for your sin? I've used the illustration before that uh, back in Texas, there's a, a water park uh, that it has what's called the lazy river around it. You get into that river and it's like a current that just leads you around. You sit on a tube and you know what? Uh, it just, you just go wherever the current takes you. It's nice and warm, feels good. If you ever get off and try to go back upstream, it's tough. Fighting your sin is going against the lazy river. It's swimming upstream. It's not fun, but I can tell you this, as followers of Jesus, that's what we're called to do. Martin Luther, at the beginning of the 95 Thesis, that he nailed to the church at the Wittenberg Church, the door, it begins with this. He wrote, the whole of the Christian life is repentance. Every day we have, well, let me rephrase that. Every day, I have a list of things to repent for. <laughs> and, listen, and you realize that as a follower of Christ, I want to say this to you, Jesus has paid the penalty of that sin, but my sin that I confess to him, that I speak to him about, is because fellowship can be broken. My son, my daughter, my wife and I, we may sin or have against one another. She's still my wife. My kids are still my kids, but our fellowship, our communion is struggling, isn't it, when, there, when there's some, a, a problem? This is where it is as followers of Jesus. Listen, the world, you've heard me say this over and over and over, the world's in big, big mess. 
That's probably the best way to say that. World's in a big mess. World's in a big mess. And we need to speak to that, but it, it would be arrogant and ignorant of us to be speaking to someone else's mess without taking care of our own mess at home first. That is the equivalent of me trying to get that speck out of your eye. You heard this? When there is a log in my own eye. We are called as followers of Christ to bring our junk to him, to fight that sin, to come and do battle in the power of the spirit. It's easy to talk about someone else's issues. It's very difficult to deal with our own, is it not? So, yeah, not a whole lot of amens on this one. And I get it. I get it. Because all week I've been before the Father. Is there something, God? Trying to consecrate myself. And today, I need you to know, the Father is calling you. Listen, I think if a follower of uh, Jesus is in here right now, this is what they hear and this is what they think as we're talking through this. Have I been hiding sin? Is there anything in me that loves my sin more than Jesus? I have a sin that I've been struggling with. Am I like Achan? Am I trying to hide it? Listen, the fact that you hate your sin, the fact that your heart is broken and torn up over your sin lets me know, should let you know that the spirit is alive in you. Uh, or maybe this is your thinking. You know, it, it, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that big a deal. I deserve this. No one's going to really know. Who in the world are you to be talking to me about stuff? You don't even know me. You know what that voice is? That voice is someone who's probably never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Because when we're confronted with our sin, and I know, here's what I'm confident of today, that if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in this room and he is speaking to you about areas that may be hidden, areas that you've been trying to keep tamped down and you're spending so much time trying to keep it tamped down that you're not living a full and abundant life that Jesus died so that you and I might have. But I need you to know secret sin will not stay secret for long. The things that you're working hard to keep hidden it doesn't stay hidden long. God will not be mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. It, it's going to come forward. You know, when my kids were young, we, would, we told them, we pray that, we, we don't think that you're not going to do something that's wrong. We don't think that you're not going to get in trouble. Our prayer as parents is that you get caught quickly. That is the grace of the Lord. And today, there are some of you in here, you are running and running and running. And as a good teacher will tell you, if you'll stop running, they'll stop chasing you. You've got sin chasing you that you're trying to keep hidden. You're trying to stay one step ahead of. Stop. Get up and fall on your face before the Lord and confess that sin to him. 
And the sad thing is, is that our secret sin affects everyone around us. It affects your family, your kids, your work, your church, your, your possessions. It affects all of it. Uh, in verse 24, in verse 24, Achan, in verse 24, Achan was taken out because the Lord said, this is what you will do. The entire nation took him out. They stoned him. They burned him, his family, everyone in his family, all of his possessions, even the devoted goods, and they buried a heap up on him. Folks, I love a good happy ending, but I need you to know, we need stories that help us also to remember that God takes things very seriously. And I don't know if we fully recognize this is who we signed up to follow, Jesus Christ, who calls us to account for our sin because we represent him. He laid our, his life down for us, and he calls us. But I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful that he is rich. Do you realize in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, God is called. God, there's only one thing in the, in the entire Bible where it says that God is rich in, and it's mercy. God is rich in mercy. He does not give us what we deserve. Why? As followers of Jesus, because he laid that on Jesus on the cross. The second thing quickly is this. Not only are we called to fight sin, but the only way we can fight sin is by confessing our sin. That is the only way. If you've got hidden sin in your heart today, don't be like Achan. Don't be like Achan. Don't try to work to cover it up because one day it's all going to be, it's all going to be revealed. I want you to think about, I want you to think about what is the worst thing that can happen if you reveal this? Outside of you killing somebody, and that may have happened in here, I don't know. It's probably not as bad as what you think it's going to be. And you bring it to light. You bring it to Jesus. Bring it out. Because there is freedom when you drag that hidden secret sin to the cross. When you bring it and you leave it, there is freedom in confession. And the enemy, Satan, the one who is accuser, the great liar, the deceiver, he wants you to think they'll hate you. They're not going to understand. Everyone's going to walk out on you. And I need you to know that is not true. In case you've forgotten, all of us in here are sinners. All of us in here are grace addicts. We are in need of a great God who is so graceful, who continually gives to us and gives to us grace upon grace upon grace. But do you know how you get that? By confession upon confession upon confession. And I don't mean to a priest. I mean to Jesus Christ, the one who has laid his life down. The first great confession is, God, I have put my faith in so many other things. I come to you, Jesus, and I give you everything. I accept your forgiveness. But to get that, you have to confess him as Lord and Savior. That's your first great confession. You know what your second great confession is? It might be to someone else. In fact, it usually is. Where you confess that sin 
and you ask for forgiveness, you, you repent of it, and you ask for forgiveness, you ask for someone to walk with you, to hold you accountable, did you realize there is healing in confession? There's healing in it. Look at the book of James. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That you may be healed. That your heart might be healed. I don't confess to you so that you will forgive me. Jesus has done that. But I need you to forgive me so that our relationship can be healed, so that it can be whole, so that I might experience healing in my heart and freedom in my heart. Listen, everyone's a sinner in this room. Everyone in this room needs grace. We all need restoration. 1 John 1, chapter nine, verse 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here in just a moment, our team's coming. They're going to begin playing, and I want to give us the opportunity for us to take a moment to confess. You know, as a team, a worship leading team, we this morning got on our knees in this room. God, is there anything hidden? Is there anything secret? Is there anything, anything at all? God, would you reveal that to us so that we can come clean before you? In this room right now, you know what my prayer is? Is that the hound of heaven has been sitting on you so strongly that the Holy Spirit, for some of you, is not going to let you walk out that door until you surrender your life to him so that he can bring you from death to life. The reason you're struggling with sin is because you've never surrendered your life to him. You don't even have the power to overcome your sin. And I invite you today, Austin will be down front, I'll be down front. We would love to pray with you to help you to begin to walk in that freedom. Some of you in here today, you're followers of Jesus and you have sin that's hidden, or at least you think it's hidden. You realize you can't hide anything from the Lord, don't you? He sees all, he knows all. The Holy Spirit of Jesus, if you're his child, lives within you. And today I'm praying that he is set on you and that you will surrender and confess to him whatever it is that you've been hiding. You may want to come up here and just as an act of surrender, you pray. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. Listen, I I would love to do that. I'm not your confessor. I'm not going to be able to forgive you. That's Jesus. But you may want someone to pray in agreement with you. That would be me, Austin. Amy will be down here. Alexis, you want somebody to pray with? Alexis will pray with you. If you're a lady, we want to pray with you. Some of you in here right now, you may need to walk across the aisle and say, hey, will you pray with me? You're in my D group. And today I need to confess something. And I, I, I just, I want you to pray with me. Some of you, you may want to just get on your knees and maybe you want to come and I'm going to invite you. You go pray over them. You don't have to know what it is, but Father, I pray that you would hear this brother or this this sister's prayer. Listen, don't keep hiding. 
come to the light where there is freedom that is found. Jesus, we love you. We magnify you. We honor you. God, I pray that this morning you would give grace upon grace to husbands and wives, to D-group members as they hear things that may, whoa. Father, I pray that we would extend grace. I pray, Father, that we would, that we would be Jesus with skin on. You didn't shudder when I brought my sin to you. May we stand with our brothers and sisters in these days so that they might experience freedom. For it's in the name of Jesus I ask these things. Amen.